good morning. We haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. My name is Bethany, and I'm the worship director here. And it is my honor to be able to welcome you to worship together this morning. We are so delighted to spend this time with you. If you are worshiping with us online, a special welcome to you as well. I do want to remind you there are online hosts available all throughout the service to answer any questions you have or to pray with you. So engage in that chat throughout the service or use the request prayer button for a private one-on-one conversation with one of our prayer hosts. Well, I'd love to read our call to worship today from Psalm 47, and I'd like to invite you now to stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. Let's do just that together this morning.
53, 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed.
Is anyone 
Let's come before the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, that's the only reason that we're here, is that you are worthy. That Jesus, our King, is worthy to receive all blessing and honor and glory forever. And that is so counter to the narrative that we hear in our world around us, in our culture. Even in our own hearts at times, we tell ourselves the wrong story. We forget that you are king, that you are worthy. And as much as we are in awe of your kingship, even more so, we are in awe that in all of your glory, in your perfection and your holiness, that you would condescend, that you would come down to us and make a way for us to know you and to be with you. Oh, the greatest good thing that we can have is to be with you. And you've made a way for that. Father, we're, we're in awe of you. And I lift up each one in this room today knowing that we are all in a different place in our story. There are burdens and anxieties and griefs that we bring in from the week before us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet each one of us exactly where we are. Make us aware of your presence with us. Bring comfort where it is needed for those who are hurting today. Bring conviction for those who are struggling and stuck in sin. Bring courage for those who have hard things to face this coming week. Remind us that we are not alone. We have you with us. As we prepare to hear from your word this morning, Father, we rely on you. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you have for us. Father, we love you. All of this is for you, and it's for your glory and yours alone that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you are with us this morning. If you're watching online, uh, we're glad you're with us as well. Don and Sonia Norin uh, were key small group leaders. They were members of our prayer team. Uh, They moved last month to be closer to their kids, and it was such an encouragement to be able to talk with both of them about just the way that uh, God had been working in and through them uh, and their ministry here at Springbrook before they left. And they both had a story that they wanted to share. Don talked about his small group uh, in the last video we showed for Don when he shared his story. Sonia, uh, this morning, wanted to share her story with you about how God has worked in and through our prayer team. Um, we used to have an upfront prayer uh, the, the first and third weekend of every month, and we're hoping to be able to get back that, uh, to that soon. Uh, but it was really encouraging to listen to Sonia talk about how she had seen God working in and through our congregation, specifically through our prayer team. I'd like to share that story with you now. My name is Sonia Noren, and I just want to tell you how much I love Springbrook. We came here about 11 years ago, and um, we, we've loved it ever since. We got involved with a small group, the Billings Small Group, and it was just a wonderful experience. And um, I'm just so thankful that God brought us to Springbrook. And now he's taking us away. We're going to Kalamazoo, Michigan, which we just heard is the number one coolest city in the country, which is kind of neat. Our youngest daughter lives there. And um, it's it's really a nice city. And she has adopted two little boys that are four and five years old. And we just want to get to know them a little better and just be an encouragement to her. Um, Our time at Springbrook has been 
full of a lot of a lot of um, fun things that we do. And one of the fun things that we that we are involved in is SOS, and that stands for Seniors at Springbrook or Silly Old Seniors, whatever kind of mood you're in. And we have just we, we get together, or we did before COVID. We get together and we have a meal and we, ha we have a movie and a meal. And sometimes we play games and have a meal. And we've just gotten so close and we've gotten together and we've gotten to know all these seniors. And it's just so exciting and, and it's so fun. Some other things that we've done is that, I've, is that I've done is that I've taught Sunday school, which teaching Sunday, that's always my favorite thing to do. And um, that was such a wonderful time with Michelle and just, it was just wonderful. And we, we, I also was involved in um, just the many other activities. Um, at the moment, I can't think of them. But it was fun. It was fun when they turned this place in, into a fair-like, and we, and we have it. And I forgot what we called it. But that was so fun. And there, Springbrook does so much. They reach out into the neighborhood, and it is just a wonderful church to go to. One of the most rewarding things that I did at Springbrook was be on the prayer team. That was just a wonderful experience, just praying for God's people, for God's church, and praying with you when you came forward. And someday, we're all gonna know how God has answered these prayers and how, and, and just what, what has come from it. So that was, that was, a, one, that was a wonderful experience uh, that God allowed us to have. So I'm just so glad that uh, God has been so faithful to us through the years and we're just looking forward to what he has for us in the future. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you, Don and Sonia were such a special couple. Uh, we de desperately miss them, uh, but we know God's using them uh, right where they're at and with their kids. If you are watching uh, online with us this morning, there's a place for you to, uh, up in the right-hand corner, you can click uh, to fill out an online connection card. We'd love to know uh, that you're watching with us this morning. If you have any questions about, any, about anything as we go through our morning this morning, you can, uh, can just post your questions there. Our, our online hosts are available to pray for you. Uh, but please let us know you're watching with us just so we can uh, engage with you in that way. And if you're with us here this morning, we're glad that you're uh, with us in person. You've got a connection card that's on your uh, chair. And so if you would, at some point during the service, just take that out. Fill that out and uh, put the first and last names of any adults that are with you. Let us know that you are here as well. If this is your first time with us uh, this morning, we're uh, grateful that you're with us as well. You can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. And then there's a place in the back you can drop those off um, on your way out this morning. We have uh, our cutting team is uh, fired up this past week. We're well into spring, although I understand it's supposed to snow sometime this week. So I haven't quite figured out our weather, but our, but our cutting team is <laughs> back in business. And so they started cutting, so we appreciate them. <laughs> you know, it is so fun just to be able to watch the way that uh, men and women in Springbrook get together. They serve together. They encourage one another. They pray together. There's something about um, serving together that is just vitally important to who we are as the body of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for a place to get connected, make friends, uh, you want to have a, a, make a difference. I mean, the things that we're doing are having an, an eternal impact on our ability to reach our community for Christ and build passionate followers of Christ. And so if you're looking for a place to serve, uh, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. You can go to springbrook.org slash serve, and there's a place for you to fill out uh, uh, any areas of interest that you might have. 
We also have our starting point coming up, and that's going to be uh, this coming Wednesday. And so this is a great way for you to get to hear a little bit more about Springbrook, our vision, mission, and values, those kind of things. And so if you are interested in that, I'll be hosting that class uh, from 7 to 8.30. It's a two-week class. You can sign up for that online. Uh, go to springbrook.org slash connect. It's a great way for you to get to hear a little bit about our ministry. That's a great way for us to get to know you a little bit and to help you get connected so you can be experiencing all that God would have for you uh, in this local body of Christ. And so if you have any questions about that, uh, please let us know. We have marriage date night coming up in May, May 15th. We have uh, 25 tickets uh, for sale out in our lobby. Uh, Pastor Matt's out there uh, to answer any questions you would have about marriage date night. I want to encourage you couples, this is a great evening for you to be able to spend some time with your spouse, maybe get away from the kids, maybe go out to dinner beforehand. Uh, It is a great time. The comedians are absolutely funny. I guarantee you, you will laugh. The worship is uh, just phenomenal. And so it's a great evening. And so we want to encourage you to sign up for that. Take advantage of our in-house tickets uh, while we still have those available. Um, But if you want to know more information about that, again, you can go to our uh, website. Um, All of this information is available on our website or our app. If you haven't downloaded that yet, just want to encourage you uh, to text Springbrook app to 77977. Everything that you want to know about Springbrook is available there. It's a great way for you to get connected, uh, to register for events, and to stay engaged um, with what God's doing in and through uh, ministry here. Last week, we kicked off a series uh, on the book of Revelation. We're looking at Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's his message to the church that we're going to be looking at um, this morning. Revelation comes from the word apocalyptus, uh, which means to reveal. It's also where we get the word apocalypse. Uh, in our culture today, we, we have a tendency to focus more on the apocalypse, the end times thing. Uh, but, you know, Revelation is about uncovering. It's about pulling back. It's, it's about disclosing and revealing what God has for us um, today. And so uh, we know that Christ is going to return. We know that there's going to be this great victory we get to experience. We're going to stand before him in his throne. We know that things are going to come to an end at some point. But God has something for us today. And when we read through the book of Revelation, we need to look at the message that God has for us today. See, Revelation was written to encourage the church through their tribulation. And we are experiencing that in a variety of different ways. We talked a little bit about that last week. Um, but we are, we are focused on what God has for us today. We don't want to just be distracted about his return. And so not that that's not important because it is, right? But there's been 180 times, I shared this with you last week, 180 documented predictions of Christ's return. In just the last 27 years, there's been, uh, in the last 20 years, there's been 27 documented cases where people are actually trying to figure out the math and figure out when is Christ going to return. We are so focused on Christ's return that we, if we're not careful, can miss out on what God has for us today. I mean, trust me, Christ coming back and returning, that is important, isn't it? (laughs) Christ's returning is important. But the book of Revelation was written to encourage us today, to encourage us in the midst of our trials and our tribulations. In fact, that's what John wrote in Revelation 1.9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance that is in Christ. Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You see, revelation is a word from Jesus to his servants. And so God has given Jesus words to share with us, and then he shares those to an angel who then shares them to John, who then gives them to us. And so the purpose of the book of Revelation is to encourage us in our faith, to encourage the church in the midst of our trials and tribulations. Last week, we looked at 10 realities that root the relevance of this book firmly in today. 
And if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Next week, we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5. We're going to get a glimpse into the throne room of God. And that's going to be a great, I'm looking forward to that. That's just a the beautiful picture of what the throne room of God looks like. And then on May 2nd, um, we're going to begin to break down and unpack chapters 6 through 16. And we're going to look at the judgments, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And so this is going to be an exciting series. I was with uh, Francis Chan and his church in California, Cornerstone, uh, many years ago when uh, he was pastoring in the high school there. He went through the book of Revelation in an entire year. <laughs> And so I know a lot of pastors that have taken an extended period of time to go through the book of Revelation. You know, that, it's, it's fun to do, and there's a lot of resources and material out there. We're going through the book of Revelation in eight weeks. And so the purpose of our series is really to encourage us on the words that Christ has for us as we anticipate his return. We came uh, out of a series, The Law on the Cross, as we looked at how the Old Testament pointed us to Jesus. And then we celebrated his death and his resurrection on Good Friday and Easter. And then for the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at God's word for us, the words that Jesus has for us as we anticipate his return. Today, we want to look at his message to us through the seven churches. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said, I want you to write what you see in a book. He's talking to John. I want you to write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. These are the seven churches that Jesus has a message for that we want to look at today because those messages are going to be relevant for us today. Now, in the time when he wrote this letter, there was actually 33 churches. They're primarily centered around the Mediterranean. A lot of them were up towards the the east and then up towards the northeast. There was 33 churches at the time of this writing, um, all primarily around the sea, and this, all these churches spread. These were all new churches. I mean, these were churches that came about as a result of the disciples um, being scattered from Jerusalem, the churches that came about as a result of Paul's missionary journey as he went into areas to tell them about the good news about Christ. The believers uh, became, came to faith in Christ, and these new churches were growing all around uh, throughout this uh, area. And we see John at the time of this writing is on the island of Patmos. It's right there in the center. And then the seven churches are surrounding him uh, there. The seven churches are uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so those are the seven churches that uh, Jesus has a message for, kind of a specific message uh, for them. map kind of looks like this. There's the island, and so it's a kind of a convenient circle uh, right there off of uh, Uh, Patmos, off the island of Patmos. Interestingly enough, there's a church, uh, Colossae and uh, Herapolis, that's right there next to Laodicea. There's two other churches that are right there next to Laodicea. And uh, Troas is just north of uh, uh, Paragum, just north of there. So there's actually 10 churches in this area. Uh, But Jesus has a message for seven. There's something about that number seven that is important, and uh, he focuses just on those seven, and so he has something very specific uh, for these seven churches. And when we look through these messages or these letters to these seven churches, one of the things that we're going to find is every single letter has a very common structure. All seven letters talk about the works of the local church. So he talks about the works, and then he gives them a warning, and then he gives them an encouragement. In every single letter, Jesus talks about knowing their deeds. Remember, Jesus is in the midst of these churches. He knows what's going on in their churches. And he talks specifically about knowing their deeds. He knows what their works are. He knows what they're doing. And then he has a 
a specific message of warning. He says, I have this against you. Except for two churches. Two churches are doing great. But for the other five churches, there's this warning that comes to them. And then he encourages them. He encourages them, he encourages them to stand firm so that they can overcome their trials and tribulations and experience the fullness of what God has for them. And so as we turn to our first church, the first church is uh, in Ephesus. We turn to the book of Revelation. We're looking at chapter 2. We're going to be looking at chapter 2 and 3. We're going to look at the letter to seven churches in two chapters in 20 minutes. There's some really important lessons that we can learn as we look at each one of these letters. So I want to encourage you to read along with me. Uh, If you've got your Bible with you, we're in Revelation chapter 2, all the way to the very end, last book. If you're watching online, there's a Bible app down towards the bottom. But listen to the message, to the letter that Jesus has for the church in Ephesus, beginning in chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your toil. I know your your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be fake. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. But in verse 4, he says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicodemians, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so that's the letter that John writes from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. There's three components that break down as we look at this church. Verse 7 talks about their conquering. He says in verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life. Some translations um, call that overcoming. Instead of using the word conquer, they say overcome. You know, we use the ESV translation. I think the word conquer is probably more accurate because it, it means to take control. In other words, you need to take control of the situation that you're in. It's a military term, and it means that you're going to take aggressive control. This is not just some kind of happenstance that you're going to overcome, but you are to take control of whatever issue that you're facing so that you can conquer what is before you. <laughs> and so, you know, to conquer and overcome, it's, you know, conquer is really important, but the, the form of conquering depends on what the intent of the letter was. And so each letter has something specific for a church. And the way that they conquer is going to be different. And so in each letter to the church, they're doing something well. There's something that that Jesus says you need to fix. And then he gives them a specific thing that they need to conquer. And that conquering is dependent upon what's going on at the beginning. Does that make sense? And so in this first letter, what is condemned is the fact that they have drifted from their first love. You know, you have abandoned the love that you had at first. You have forgotten where you have fallen, and you need to repent. You're to conquer that fleeing or that forgetting which you had forgotten, which you had at the beginning. You've forgotten your your first love. And if you conquer that, then you're going to be granted the right to be able to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, that language of eating from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, it takes us back to Genesis, back to Adam and Eve. 
takes them back to the relationship. It takes them back to the fact that they were in God's presence. And this gives us a glimpse to that new heaven and that new earth. In other words, if you repent and you start to focus on that love that you had at first, then you will conquer that and you will have access to the tree of life. The tree of life becomes a, a symbol of a restored relationship and eternal life with God in heaven and this new earth. You know, even if the whole church is wiped out, the person who conquers is going to enjoy the presence of God on the last day. We need to remember our first love. It is so easy, especially as we, uh, as we be- become uh, believers and we start to uh, enjoy our faith for many years, after a year, two years, three years, we sometimes we forget the story of where God's delivered us from. You know, when I talk to people about their relationship with Christ, sometimes people will tell me, well, I've always had a relationship with Christ. Well, that's not true. You're not born with one. Every one of us has a faith story. We have a point at which we came to understand our need for a relationship with Christ, and we entered into a relationship with God. The faith story is so important because that's the point that God called us into a relationship with himself, and that's our first love. And, and that grace that we experience, sometimes as we get older, we get more cynical, we forget our first love, and we, or we become more fundamental. You know, I was working with a family Springbrook that had come from another church and I had to go back and actually meet with their pastor and you know one of the things that had happened in the, in the other church was that they had made a mistake they had sinned and uh, that church wanted them to come up on stage and to repent and confess that in front of the whole church I thought wow can you imagine if you messed up if I asked you hey you need to come up with here with me next Sunday and you need to repent of that sin and tell the whole church what you had done I mean what 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 how that would make you feel that's fundamentalism you know, there's a sense that we do need to publicly confess. We do need to confess. We do need to ask for God for forgiveness. But when we start, when we start forgetting God's grace, when we start forgetting where God has delivered us, then that doesn't translate into loving relationships with people around us. You know, we need to remember that God has called each of us into a relationship with, our, with, with himself. And what happened in Ephesus was they had forgotten that. They're, they're, they were patient. There was patient endurance. They were not bearing with those. They were speaking the truth, but they weren't speaking it in love. And so the idea that we speak the truth to people around us in love is so important because if it's not done in love, it becomes, it becomes dogmatic, it's fundamental, and, it, and there's no grace in it. And so it's important when we speak to those around us that we speak as those that understand where God has delivered us from. So Jesus tells them, if you overcome that, if you remember your first love and you repent, you're going to get access to the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that's a promise. And then I love this. In every church, he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so God has something for that church. God has something for us today that we need to remember our first love. We need to remember where God has delivered us. We need to remember that God lifted us out of that miry pit and placed our feet on firm ground. And that grace that we experience, we get to pass on and share with others. That's the hope that we have in Christ, that God loved you enough to send his son to die for you so that you could have a relationship with him. And that is a first priority for us when we think about how do we relate to those around us and to our community. God loves you. He has a plan for you. Yes, we need to grow in faith. Yes, we need to adhere to sound doctrine, but it all begins by understanding who we are in Christ. And so who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is a message that God has for each of us today. And so I know maybe this morning, you're, maybe, you're, maybe you've been the receiving end of somebody that wasn't speaking love or speaking grace to you. 
It's an opportunity for you to go, you know, to, to pray about what God would have for you in that. And maybe you're around some relationships and you get frustrated with people around you. You know, it's important that you step back and remember, hey, where did God deliver me? And what does God have for me in this relationship? We need to remember to be able to, uh, to, to reflect on uh, the first love uh, that we had in Christ. So we move to the uh, church in uh, Smyrna. The angel through the, says to the church of Smyrna, he says this, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you're going to have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And so Smyrna is one of the two churches that actually Jesus doesn't have anything against. They're doing things really well. I, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Do not fear. Be faithful unto death. Smyrna was one of those cities that was destroyed in around 600 B.C. It was rebuilt in about 280 B.C., around the time of Alexander the Great. It was a city that was dead, and it was brought back to life. And so it's interesting that Jesus introduces himself in the same way. I, was, I had died, but I came back to life. And he reminds them that they are facing poverty, they are facing persecution, and I'm sure they are wondering if that church, if that city is going to be destroyed again. <laughs> Jesus says, look, I know the tribulation that you're going through. I know your poverty. I know what you're going through. Do not fear. Do, be, do not fear. Do not be, fear, be, but be faithful unto death. And so, you know, he's encouraging them that you don't have anything to worry about. You know, I am with you. And if you focus on me and you conquer that fear, you're going to you're not be hurt by the second death. You can rest secured and I'm going to return a, a second time and you're going to be with me and everything's going to be fine. You know, and sometimes that message is all people have. You know, I can remember uh, just walking around different churches in uh, India and Nepal, or I've been to uh, different churches in Uganda. And, you know, by by Western standards, some of those churches are in poverty. Uh, they are poor. You know, they have nothing. Yet, but in many ways, they are extremely wealthy. You know, when you go to some other places in the world, then they don't have what we have materialistically. But you know what's interesting? Most of the churches that I've been to in third world countries, they will walk one hour to listen to somebody teach. You know, we were visiting different churches, and there was a couple of times where we got behind, and we'd show up at a church, and they had been waiting for three hours for us to get there. And then when you walk into the church, you know what they do? They start, they're singing, they're praising, they're, there's this huge worship. And then when you start teaching, you know, I, I asked one guy, I said, how long do you want me to teach? He said, oh, they'll listen as long as you speak. <laughs> and they, they just, they hang on every word of God. It's so precious to them. And when you talk to them after the service, there's such a sense, there's a spirit of the, the presence of God is there. And they are such a joy to talk with and be with. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are blessed in ways that we can't even imagine. Jesus says, look, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Don't fear. Be faithful unto death. Stay focused on me. You know, this morning, God knows whatever you're going through. Whatever you're going through, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever's happening in your life, God knows what's going on in your life. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Don't fear. Be faithful unto death. 
If you can conquer that, you will not be hurt by the second death. Don't let your experience inform what you know to be true about God. Don't let what's going on in your life or in your relationships affect what we know to be true and right about God. God's word is central. It's true. There's promises. And that's where we need to place our focus. And if we do that, we have nothing to fear. We will not be hurt by the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This message to Smyrna is important for us today. You know, we need to step back and you know, I, I think of some of the conversations, the, the hostility and the tensions between mask and no mask or vaccine and no vaccine. And I mean, I look at some of the things that we just came through with, with um, you know, just with regard to, you know, the presidential election. I mean, I look at some of the things that at least I've experienced this last year and there's been such a division uh, in our conversations. And I, it's my prayer. It's my prayer for our church in Springbrook that these things will not divide us that we will keep focused on what God has for us individually and as a church. Those other things, those are secondary issues. And if we focus on what God has for us, if we stay focused on his word, we have nothing to fear. That message is as relevant for us today as it was for that church in Smyrna back then. And then we move on to the church of Pergamum. You know, they were, to, they were holding fast uh, to Jesus' name. They did not deny their faith, even in the days of Antipas. And so Antipas was uh, a church leader at the time that was killed under the emperor uh, Domitian. We talked about um, Domitian last week. Nero and Domitian were two emperors that were ruling at the time, and uh, both of them were really um, bad <laughs> emperors. They were persecuting and pushing, putting Christians to death. And uh, Antipas was one of those that uh, fell to that persecution. And even though people around them were being killed, they did not deny their faith. In verse 12, it says to the angel of the church in in, uh, Pergam, write these words, to him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, I know where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I do have a few things against you. You have some there who are holding to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat the food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and wage war against you with the sword of my mouth. And so he says to the church, look, you are holding fast to my name. You are not denying your faith, even in the midst of persecution. But you are allowing people in your midst to teach false teaching. You're remaining true to God's name, but the church is allowing false teaching to creep in. Balaam was a prophet from Mesopotamia. He used uh, that role for illicit purposes in the book of Numbers. Uh, you can read through uh, a little bit more about Balaam. Second Peter and uh, Jude talk about the negative effects that that teaching has on the early church. We're not quite sure who the Nicolaitans are. Um, it also talked about in Ephesus. But they're, uh, they were overcoming, and their, their conquering is going to come about as a result if they can address that negative, that false teaching. And so even though they were doing well, there was false teachers in that church. And if they want to conquer that, they're going to have to put that false teaching aside so that they can enjoy the hidden manna that God has for them. And they'll get a white stone with a new name on it. 
That's what it says. They'll get a white stone with a new name on it. In other words, if you can get that false teaching put aside, you know, you're going to, your identity is going to be secure in who it is in me. You know, Scripture talks about the fact that when we make a faith commitment, the old is gone, the new has come. We get a new identity. And if we can stick true to God's word and not allow false teaching to creep in there, then that identity will be secure. And so the church here needs to put aside that false teaching. Their overcoming is about standing firm in God's word and getting rid of false doctrine and ideas. And if they can do that, they'll be able to experience that hidden manna. Manna is what God provided for them when they were in the desert wandering around. It was, it was something that God gave them that sustained them. And that's what God's word does for us. It sustains us. And when we're focused on it, our identity is secure. We don't have to worry about false teaching. And so we need to put false teaching aside. Doctrine is important. Doctrine's important. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All of Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, so that we can be found approved. And so doctrine is important to us. Teaching from Scripture is important to us. Studying the Bible is important to us. And so everything that we say, do, and teach at Springbrook comes from the Bible. There's a lot of strange doctrines out there. And so we have to be on guard and protect ourselves from that. If it's not in the Bible, then it's not going to come out of our mouth. (laughs) We need to stick to God's word and make sure that God's word is a priority in our life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's important for us today, that God's word be central to everything that we do in ministry. You know, it, uh, then we move into uh, Thyatira. You know, when you look at uh, Thyatira, you know, there they have a, a church that is, is doing well on the, on the surface. You know, this is a church that is doing well on the surface. He says uh, in verse 19, I know your works, I know your love, and I know your faith, and I know your service, I know your patient endurance, and that your latter words far exceed the worst, uh, far exceed the, the first. So how they, how they started out, well, they're even doing better now. And so God knows everything that's going on in their church. There's some great things going on in there. But verse 20 says this, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'm going to throw her on a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I'm going to throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her words. I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. You know, in 1 Kings 16, we're introduced to Jezebel. Jezebel um, was committed uh, to bringing God's people uh, into uh, idolatry. That was her that was her whole purpose, was to, bring, to trip God's people up, to bring them into idolatry and to, and, to, and, to, and to really infiltrate this covenant community of God. In fact, in chapter 18, she actually at one point begins to start to threaten the life of the, of the prophets at the time. She threatens Elijah's life, and so she is really bad news. And this church had allowed a Jezebel into the church. You know, he had, they had allowed somebody to come in that was misleading them, again, just like from the previous churches, that they were misleading them from God's word. And God's word for them is, is, look, you're tolerating this person who is teaching and seducing my servants. You need to overcome that. And if you can conquer that, if you can push that out, and you can, you know, you'll keep my works to the very end, 
then you're going to have authority. You're going to stand firm and secure in who you are in Christ and in my word. To the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers, who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will rule them with a rod of iron when the earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as myself have received authority from my Father. I will give it to them like the morning star. And so if you will push out that Jezebel spirit, that false teaching, and you will hold firm to my word, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to, I'm going to firm your church up. I'm going to firm your life up. And you can stand firm on God's word. So you need to push those things out. You know, a good rule for us today as we think about how to read and study and apply the Bible is to not be distracted by things of this world. That Jezebel has been there. They were distracting the church. They were distracting them from things of God and then focusing them on things of the world. And it is so easy for us to get that distracted. It is so easy for us to get distracted by the things that are going on around us and forget that we need to be rooted in God's word. And a good rule for us today is, is that we need to spend at least as much time reading and studying and applying the Bible as we do looking at other sources of information. I mean, think about how many books we read, how many articles we read, how much news we watch. Think about how you're impacted by the things of this world as opposed to being influenced by God's word. We need to push out those false teaching, those things that are distracting us. We need to stay focused on him and his word. And if we do that, he will stand you up on firm ground. He will give you authority and will make you a pillar and you can rest secure in who you are in Christ. And so that is the word that God has for Thyatira. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You need to stand firm on God's word and not be distracted by the things that are happening in this world. You want to finish well? Stay focused on God and his word. Then we get to Sardis. Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but like the other church, but, but they were dead. They had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. In chapter 3, it says to the, the angel says to the church in Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2 says, wake up and strengthen what remains, for it's about to die. I have, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And so Jesus' word to the churches is that they have a reputation for being alive, but they're really dead. They need to wake up and strengthen what remains, for I have not found your works to be complete. There's still something missing. You've got a great reputation, but there's still something missing. You know, there's a relationship between faith and works. We can't just say that we have faith and then not let our lives be transformed. That's a message for us today. That's as relevant for us today as it was for that church back then. We can't say that we're Christ followers and then live as though we're not. Our faith and our works need to be connected. Back in uh, James, writes in uh, chapter 3, or chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 18, some will say you have faith, some will say you have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that. And you shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart 
from works is useless. Our faith apart from works is useless. You know, and that's what, that's, what, that's what Jesus is telling this church in Sardis. It's like, look, you've got a great reputation. You're doing some good things, but there's something missing from your life. If you want to conquer that and be clothed with the book of white and not be blotted out of the book of life, you need to focus on your works. Put your faith into practice. You see, blessing comes from reading, studying, and applying God's word. Don't be distracted by the world. Look for ways to put your faith into practice. We can't walk around calling ourselves Christians and then live like the world. There should be something different about our life. There should be something different about where we serve, what we do, how we spend our time, how we live, what our priorities are. And the good news for Sardis is that if they do these things, then then they will be able to conquer that and they're going to be able to experience being clothed in white and they will not be blotted out of the book of life. They will not be blotted out of the book of life. In other words, their salvation will be secure. The book of life is the name of everybody's names are written in it that has a relationship with Christ. And if you claim to have a relationship with Christ then you're, and your life doesn't reflect that, then really are you a believer? How many people call themselves Christians but then their life just does not reflect it? And so you question whether they're believers or not. You know, it's really interesting. And this is where, when it comes to judging people, you know, um, I don't like chocolate ice cream as much as I like vanilla. Well, that sounds kind of judgmental. It is a judgment. And so we make judgments all the time. When it talks about not judging others, it's talking about with regard to salvation. And so this issue is one that is very much on the heart of God that only he knows. He knows who's believers and who's not. Sometimes you got to wonder, you know, people call themselves Christ followers, then you look at their behavior and you look at some of the things they're doing, you're thinking, wow, does that person really know Christ? You know, if your relationship with Christ hasn't transformed you, there's something missing. Your works are not complete. And it should cause you to question whether your life is, is really in that book of life. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to take stock and take inventory and and make sure that we're living in a way that's consistent with what we find in Scripture. That's the message that God has for Sardis. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Your works are not complete, but if you can address that issue, you'll be clothed in white and you will not be blotted out of the book of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so God has a word for this church that is as relevant for us today as it was for them back then. As we move into the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia is, uh, is my favorite. It's the one that I pray for, aspire to for our church. Beginning in verse 7, the angel of the church uh, writes this to the Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens up one door and will not shut it, who shuts one and opens up another one. And so this church is being led by the Holy Spirit. They're, they're making decisions. They're going through doors that God's opens, and they're not going through doors that are closed. And they are very much in tune to where the Spirit of God is leading. I know your works. I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. 
I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try to, to those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon, so hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. You know, my prayer for Springbrook is that we would be a church that is faithful to God's word. Faithful to God's word. Well known in our community for our love of God. That we would be people that are patiently enduring in times of tribulation and trouble. That we would be a church that is holding fast to what we have in Christ. That God's word would be central to us and to our ministry. Oh, that we would be like the Church of Philadelphia. That's my prayer, that Springbrook would be like this church. And then we could conquer. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. You know, we stand firm in God's word. If we keep his word, we will not be denied. We will be a pillar. The kingdom of hell cannot overcome this. You know, you know whose church this is? It's Jesus' church. Jesus is the one that builds the church. And if we keep our eye on him, it's going to stand fast. And no matter what's happening in our world, no matter what's happening in our community, no matter what's happening in our culture, if this is a place where we come to study God's word and we come to worship him and we are focused like Philadelphia on what God has for us, we're going to be like a pillar in the temple of my God. That's a, that's a strong pillar. It's something that can't be knocked over. It's going to be firm. It will be unchanging. It's going to be steadfast. You know, that's the kind of church that we want to be. This is one of the other churches of the two that, had, that Jesus had nothing against. And oh, that we would be like this church. My prayer for us is that we would be like the church of Philadelphia. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God has something for us today. He wants to encourage us to stand firm in our faith, to stand firm in who we are in Christ, and to stand firm on his word. And when we do that, God promises us to solidify us, to protect us. No one can stand against us if our eyes are focused on him. And then we get to the church of Laodicea. I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. With that, you were, I wish that you were one or the other, but you're not. You're neither hot nor cold. Nor cold. And because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so on a hot day, you want something cool to drink. On a cold day, you want something hot to drink. Lukewarm water doesn't satisfy anybody's needs. The city of Laodicea had a water problem at the time, and they were bringing water into their city. And by the time it got there, it was, it was dirty. It had been through the pipes, and it was, you know, the temperature was no good. Its water was worthless. And so Jesus is using an example for Laodicea here that, that they're very much going to understand. He says to them, you know, I, I know, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Oh, gosh, I wish you were one of them. You know, you say I am rich, that I have prospered, that I'm in need of nothing. You're not realizing that you're wretched, you're poor. As you read down into verse 16, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and have white garments so that you may close yourself in in the shame of your nakedness. You know, they think that they're doing well but they're not. They are, they are ignorant of their spiritual poverty. They have absolutely no clue how bad things are. 
They're neither hot nor cold. They're just kind of going through life. You know, they think things are good and they're not. And Jesus is pointing out to them, look, you are spiritually poor. You're pitiable. You're, 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 you're blind. You're naked. And if you don't overcome that, then you're not going to sit with me on my throne. If you do overcome that, he who does conquers, I grant will be able to sit with me on my throne. You know, people need to decide what side they're on. Churches need to decide what side they're on. We have to preach Christ, him crucified. Some of the things that we have to talk about as we move towards scripture are countercultural. We need to speak to those things in a way that it's done in love. We need to encourage people in the faith. But there are some things that we have to teach are just not what we experience in the world. And so that creates tension. But we cannot water down the gospel. We have to remain true to what God's word is with, the, with the regard to relationships, with regard to marriage, with regard to how we raise our kids. With, you know, there's things that we have to stand firm on that run counter to our culture. And if you try to split the middle of it and you don't speak the truth in love, then you are lukewarm. And there's a, there's a cost that comes with that. There's a cost that comes with following Christ. You know, when I became a Christ follower, the first thing that happened to me was I had all new friends <laughs> because it, it separated me <laughs> from my old friends and I had to make new friends. I couldn't split the middle. I couldn't be a non-Christian to them and then I couldn't do what I wanted over here and then come over to church and do whatever I wanted to do. You have to pick a side. And if you don't pick a side, then you're lukewarm and you're going to be spit out of his mouth. We need to pick sides. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so you are either with Jesus or you're not. You're either helping accomplish his purposes or you're making things worse. There's no, you, you have to pick a side. There is no middle when it comes to having a relationship with Christ or being obedient unto Christ. The idea that someone can go through life in the middle is a lukewarm idea. It's a lie. You can't say, I think I have a relationship with Christ. You do or you don't. Churches are, are going to either preach Christ crucified, they're either going to be rooted in the Bible, or they're not. And Laodicea is the church that is in the most trouble here. They are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I pick one. Just pick one side or the other. But because you're lukewarm, I spit you out. If you want to overcome that, if you want to conquer that, you're going to, and to be granted the tree of life, you're going to have to address that issue. And so this morning, you know, I just want to ask you, you know, where are you in your relationship with Christ? Are you confidently planted on one side? You're, you're, you're on one side or the other. I know our church is focused on helping people to understand how to have a relationship with Christ and, and building passionate followers, but where are you on your spiritual journey? You have to pick a side, and churches have to pick whose side they're going to be on as well. That's the message that God has for Laodicea, and it's the message that he has for us today. It's as relevant for us today as it was for that church back then. And so here's our seven churches. And here's a little bit of a summary of uh, you know, what they had going for them and what they needed to work on. Ephesus hated evil but had no love. Smyrna was doing great. They were persevering in the tribulation. Pergam was Christ-centered, but they tolerated false teaching. Thyatira had great love, but they tolerated evil. Sardis had a good reputation, but they had a dead faith. Philadelphia was steadfast and faithfulness. Oh, that we would be like Philadelphia. And then Laodicea was neither hot nor cold. And so this summary of the message for the churches is for us today. And I want to ask you just you know, this morning to think about, where do you think Springbrook is? You know, if you've been at Springbrook for a while, maybe you're new to Springbrook. Hopefully, 
hopefully that you get a sense that this is your first time in Springbrook, that you get a sense that, hey, this church is rooted in Scripture. You know, the Bible is important to us. It's important to our ministry. You know, but if you've been here for a while, you know, where, where do you think we're doing well? Where do you think we're falling short? And where do you think our hope is? What are we pointing people to? Our website, springbrook.org slash revelation, um, you can go, you, you can answer those questions. I would really be curious to hear from you. You know, where are you now in your spiritual journey? Where do you think our church is? And what do we need to work on? You know, we've all got blind spots. Our elder board, our staff, our leaders, you know, we spend a lot of time praying together, encouraging one another, working together to make sure that we're accomplishing all that God has for us. But I would be curious to hear from you about where you think we are. Where are we doing well? Where do you think we're falling short? And where do you think our hope is? What are we focused on? And I do really do want, I do want your feedback. And so if you could go to that, it's on our website, or you can just go to springbrook.org slash revelation. Then I want to ask you this. Where are you? Put your name in the blank there. Where are you doing well? Where are you falling short? And where is your hope? And how can we celebrate with you the things that are doing well? How can we help you address areas that you're falling short? And how can we encourage you in your faith so that you can experience the hope that we all have, that when Christ does return, we're going to spend eternity within him, that that our names are written in the book of life, and we are eagerly anticipating his return. We do await his return. We're looking forward to that, but we also know that God has something for us today. Our vision at Springbrook is to reach and build passionate followers of Jesus Christ, to reach and build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I am so grateful that the Lord has been patient with me, and I have to remind myself that he's patient with those around us. Engaging a community, engaging a world that doesn't have a relationship with Christ takes prayer, intentionality. I'm so grateful that God is patient with me and patient with those around us. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is, is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's my prayer that people would come to understand their need for a relationship with Christ so that they can enjoy the fullness of all the promises that we have. I am grateful that he's patient with us. I'm grateful that he's patient with people around us. I'm looking forward to Christ's return, but the implication is when he returns that those that don't have a relationship with him at that point are going to spend eternity away from him. So why I'm anxious for him to return, like Paul says, I'm anxious to be with Christ, but God's got something for us here. It's our intention to reach our community for Christ and to help people grow in their faith. We also want to be about building passionate followers. We want to help people to be passionate followers of Christ. You know, Paul writes this in Philippians 3, Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And then he says this in verse 9, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, and I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So Paul gives us an idea of what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ in verses 10 and 11. To be a passionate follower of Christ is to recognize that it's a personal thing. You know, to be a passionate follower of Christ for Paul is, is personal, that I might know him. 
knowing Jesus Christ, have a personal relationship with him. We enjoy who we are together, but it begins by having a personal relationship with Christ. And there's power in that, the power of his resurrection. That same power that spoke creation into existence lives in us. And a, and a passionate follower of Christ is experiencing that power. A passionate follower of Christ also realizes that there's a cost associated with following Christ. It can be painful. We are going to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. There is going to be persecution. There are things that we're going to face as a result of being Christ followers, but that's a part of what it means to be a passionate follower, is to recognize that there's a cost associated with following him. And then we're also living a purposeful life. A passionate follower of Christ is living a purposeful life, being conformed into his image. You know, we want to reach our community for Christ. We want to grow passionate followers of Christ. I'm looking forward to what God has for us as we move through this series because we are anticipating his second coming. But we are living in today knowing that God has something for us today. That's our vision, our mission, and our values and why we exist. Until Christ returns, we want to reach our community for Christ and we want to build passionate followers. We want to be like that church in Philadelphia. I just pray that you would join me as we seek all God has for us as we move through this series, as we move through this year and for what he has for us together. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. And I just thank you for... I thank you for the example uh, from these seven churches. Um, God, I know that um, you have something for us uh, in this today. God, we are anticipating um, the return of Christ, and we're going to look a little bit more about that a little bit later. But God, may we be focused on what you have for us today. We're excited about your return, but we know that you have something for us today. I pray that you would enable us to experience more of your presence, more of your power in our life, and that there would be a sense of awe in our church family as we seek to serve you and glorify you with our lives. And we lift this day up to you. Look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to this word we've heard this morning.
once again for being with us this morning. It is such a privilege to spend this time in worship with you. Hear now this benediction from Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in him.